This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. At One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our comfort specialist can handle any AC repair. Call 855-1-HOUR for $50 off your repair or visit OneHourAir.com. Always on time or you don't pay. Terms and conditions may apply. Independently owned and operated, licensed in their respective state or county. Hi, I'm Renee Summer, our digital news anchor here at 7 at 7. Watch our streaming nonstop newscast immediately with your mobile phone. 7 at 7 is the new way for you to get every bit of local news you need in just seven minutes. Breaking news, local neighborhood news, weather, and sports are just a click away. Reporters bring you all of what's happening in the Valley. From Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, YouTube, and more. Get every bit of local news you need from the RJ and LVRJ.com. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about hockey and specifically. Game 7s because we just witnessed the Golden Knights and Minnesota Wild battle at T-Mobile Arena in the first winner-take-all game that has ever graced the building. I am Ben Goats, one of your Review Journal Golden Knights beat writers. Joining me on the other line is my colleague, Dave Shane. Dave, what's going on right now, man? <laughs> I'm kind of flying right now. It's kind of kind of funny like i don't usually get the uh the crazy adrenaline from from the game or you know just all day like i woke up really early this morning i've been ready to go like all day that game lived up to it so yeah yeah good mood this is this is kind of a fun night i gotta say absolutely i'm personally bouncing between a a mixture of adrenaline and exhaustion so we'll see how this plays out over the course of the podcast Uh, but of course (laughs) We are here to discuss the Golden Knights Game 7 against the Minnesota Wild, uh, the results and uh, what that means going forward. We are planning on doing this either way, but obviously it took a a very uh, interesting direction where the Knights won Game 7 at T-Mobile Arena. They are advancing. They are going to play the Colorado Avalanche in Round 2, so we'll recap what happened tonight and, of course, preview what you guys can expect in the next series moving forward. But before we do that, I want to remind everyone that this podcast is sponsored by one hour air conditioning and heating. We are also presented by blue wire podcasts. As a reminder, uh, please check out all our written work at reviewjournal.com. We've got you covered from so many angles uh, coming off this game. Uh, Dave's game story was great. Our colleague Ed Graney wrote a really good column. Colleague Adam Hill wrote uh, a story from the wild perspective and of course, I had our uh, big Colorado Avalanche preview ready to go that uh, we were able to hit send after the final buzzer. And we were able to do that because the Golden Knights won 
their first game seven at home. They won a series for the first time ever at home with a 6-2 victory tonight. Matias Yanmark scored his first NHL hat trick and the second playoff hat trick in Knights history to make it happen. Uh, some of the other big storylines, Max Pacioretty played for the first time since May 1st. He had missed 11, or 12 games in a row, and all he does is end up scoring the game-winning goal in the second period. Defenseman Nick Hague and Zach Whitecloud also scored their first goals of this series. The Knights got up one uh, nothing in the first period. They got up 2-1 in the second, but the Wild fought back to tie it each time. Then the game just kind of ended up getting very one-sided from there. Uh, Dave, overall, you know, what did you think uh, taking this one in? Well, what I really liked the most, if, if I'm going to be, you know, in, in a Knights fan's shoes and all of that, was they went for it. Like, that wasn't sit back, conservative game seven. Like, that's how you play a game seven. You go for it. Like, they had their foot on the gas and, and it was attack, 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 almost from the opening face-off. I love their mentality that they didn't just kind of sit and wait and do all those things. I think you do that on the road, and I liked the way that they played in Game 6. Even though it didn't turn out the, you know in their favor, I think that's what they had to do to try to get that series finished in Minnesota. But you don't do that at home, and they didn't. They absolutely just, you know... I, I, I can't say the phrase, you know, I'll just say bleep to the wall. Um, but that's what it was. And, you know, Max Pacioretty comes out and does his, you know, I'll, I'll date myself here. I'll be the old guy and does his Willis Reed moment from, you know, whatever it's his, his, you know, we didn't have a flu, but his Michael Jordan flu game, whatever, you know, trots out, you know, for warmups. And obviously everybody got excited about that, but that just that lived up to a game seven that you want. Yeah, the, the like the tension and the close ones and maybe an overtime game. Those are always fun. Like, you know, you, you want a little anxiety, but the way that those two teams went at each other and physically, offensively, and and really just tried to tried to go for it and, and win game seven and not play to not lose. That's what I loved about watching that game more than anything. Yeah, so many storylines, of course, coming out. And you touched on uh, them already a little bit there, Dave. But the one I think we have to talk about is uh, Matthias Yanmark a little bit more because I feel like uh, it was just crazy to how he emerged as kind of uh, this playoff hero for the Knights. Uh, as a reminder, of course, he was a trade deadline acquisition. The Knights gave up a uh, second and third round pick to acquire him from Chicago. They also sent... Uh, their rival, San Jose, a fifth-round pick uh, to acquire him at the deadline to make kind of the salary cap space work. And I'm sure Sharks fans are just thrilled that, uh, you know, this all worked out the way it did. Uh, Matias Yamark had one goal in his first 21 games with the Knights. So the 15 regular season games, the first six playoff games of this series. And it was an empty netter. And uh, all he does then is score three goals uh, to you know, deliver a game seven victory for the Knights. He scored their first goal to put them up one, nothing. He scored their fifth goal to basically kind of seal and wrap the series up. And then he got an empty net goal late to uh, rain hats down on the T-Mobile arena ice. I mean, Dave, in terms of, you know, 
the guys that could have, I guess, you know, decided this game, decided this series. How far down was Matias Yanmark potentially on that list for you coming into tonight? Yeah, probably pretty far down, especially when you put it into that context, which I wish I had included into my game story. And I'm now kicking myself and I'll maybe even update it for uh, for our online version. So so folks are hearing this and, and maybe they can actually see it. But, yeah, you know, I think what's fun about playoff hockey is that guys like that, you know, seem to emerge. There's always somebody, you know, down the lineup that gets a hot stick and you know, kind of carries a team a little bit, gives you secondary scoring. Um, I, you know, maybe maybe Matias Yanmark's not the most obvious candidate, especially after Max Pacioretty, you know, goes into the first line and everything kind of bumps down and everybody's in their kind of correct spots, I think, as Pete DeBoer sort of has said and, and alluded to. You know, maybe you'd think like Alex Tuck, I guess would maybe have, you know, better match. But, you know, Yanmark was the one who put himself into spots. I thought, you know, the one that I really liked, especially was the second goal that he scored more. So just the way that he did driving to the net and getting a pass from Nick Waugh that, you know, who was behind the goal line, and, you know, in scoring down low in, in, in front of Cam Talbot, not these like long range shots and, and all those, you know, other sorts of things like, the first one was great, unreal individual effort to chip the puck over Ian Cole, you know, after stealing it in the neutral zone and then like a really good move to get it back to his forehand and kind of tuck it in around Talbot. But, you know, I just thought the second one and, and to really kind of be the dagger there. Um, and then the third too, kind of messing around on Twitter with this is how close was that one to like the William Carlson one on uh, new year's Eve, the first year where he made the kind of diving sweep with a stick to uh, finish off a hat trick. Very close, very similar. Uh, it's crazy how, uh, you know, you get these coincidences in these just key games. Um, another person to shout out tonight would be Shea Theodore who had no points in this series entering game seven. He came up with, Two assists tonight. Um, but the other guy that we really have to focus on, uh, besides Ian Mark, who we've already mentioned a bunch, is Max Pacioretty. Uh, as I'm sure many people listening to this are well aware, it's been uh, an interesting and kind of nebulous situation for Pacioretty uh, this entire postseason, where he's been basically a game time decision for uh, seven straight games, including tonight and the uh, for the most part, it seemed like it was a fairly easy decision because Pacioretty hadn't been skating with the team, so it was assumed that he wasn't going to go. And for the first six games, he didn't go. And uh, the team had an optional morning skate today, so we didn't get you know to see a lot of the players on the ice. Maybe a lot of players just weren't on the ice because it was an optional. And so the first real indication that Max Pacioretty was very close to playing and was indeed going to return in this game was when he came out of that tunnel for warmups and the crowd got super excited and they gave him a huge ovation the first time he touched the puck. And then he ended up up doing, of course, what Max Pacioretty does. And he scored a, a huge goal in the slot uh, in the second period that put the Knights up three to two after the Wild had fought back to uh, tie it yet again at two, two, it holds up as the game winner. Uh, you made the uh, Willis Reed comparison, Dave, but just uh, how surprised were you and what was your reaction when you actually did see Max Pacioretty come through that tunnel 
and take the ice for warmups. I was very surprised. I actually was on a radio show uh, in the morning and pretty much said I didn't think he was going to play. Um, I didn't think there was any indication or anything with like lineup roster moves. I mean, everything that kind of happened in terms of, you know, some of, you know, the false positives and if Ryan Reese was going in and like nothing, nothing indicated that he was coming back. We hadn't seen him. Uh, the only thing that, that we kind of had to go on was Pete DeBoer did admit that he had been skating. We didn't know how long. So, you know, to come back from May 1st and having not played since then, no practices with the team and to score the go ahead goal and really just to kind of give them the emotional lift. I mean, I know the surprise I had, I'm sure, you know, and Pete DeBoer, I think alluded to this too, just writing his name on the board in the lineup seemed to give just the entire locker room a jolt. And, you know, how could it not? And then for him to actually, you know, be able to get through that and produce, not have like a Steve Stamkos moment, like from the Stanley cup where he gives you like two, you know, historic minutes, but, but Patrick, actually, you know, got through there, contributed. I mean, at one point, and I, I sent a, a tweet out about this. I mean, there was an ice scrape and he was leaning hard on his stick on his knees. And he kind of floated around for a little bit, was catching his breath and he got to the bench and he was kind of hunched over there on the bench a little bit too. You knew he was feeling it. He was, I don't think anywhere near a hundred percent, but game seven, you got to, got to give it a go. And, and he was able to give him something. Yeah. Max Pacioretty ended up playing uh, 60 minutes and 28 seconds tonight. That was the second most among Knights forwards. He said after the game that, you know, basically he had some good days and bad days kind of working his way back from uh, his injury. But he said he quote, turned the corner there a couple days ago. Um, you know, Pete DeBoer mentioned that uh, Pacioretty probably came back later than both uh, he and the Knights were initially hoping, but there were some setbacks that uh, kept him from getting back in the lineup. Um, and Pacioretty ended up crediting. He said, you know, there's a lot of people behind the scenes that were working around the clock to get him to the point where he even, you know, could uh, go back out on the ice today. And so he wanted to make sure to kind of give them a shout out. Uh, we'll certainly see uh, what, you know, he, uh, his play is like moving forward to see how much he can uh, keep it up when the adrenaline of a game seven isn't, you know, super coursing through his veins, but they certainly needed him tonight. And he helped a lot uh, quickly before we move on and uh, turn the page to the Colorado series that is coming up. Uh, just, it was the first game seven ever at T-Mobile arena. It still wasn't a full crowd there was an announced crowd of more than 12,000 fans tonight. So still plenty and, you know, very good compared to what some other NHL teams have been able to draw so far. But just what did you think of the atmosphere in the building, Dave, the energy and, you know, being at least a witness to that scene? I thought it was great. I mean, one of the, one of the coolest things I thought was for the last, like, I think it was about a minute and a half. I wish I kind of, noted when they first started but everybody's standing and just cheering waving their towels over their head for like the entire time that they were you know finishing it off i thought that was a really cool scene and and i think you know going forward we'll we'll see how this all works 
there might be more folks in there and you know at least from the nhl's perspective they don't have to wear masks anymore as long as you know it fits with local guidelines and that's what the team wants to do so it could get even louder uh there could be even more people here you know going forward for for this colorado series and and if they're fortunate enough to advance you know beyond that we'll, we'll see but I mean, like I mentioned earlier, it was, it was everything that the first game seven at T-Mobile should be, you know, just the crowd, the energy, um, you know, just, I mean, it lived up to, I, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss for words, I guess, in a way, um, which yeah, rare, uh, but I just thought, you know, it's one of those things that Vegas stories, you know, that first game seven and, 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 Everybody's going to be able to, you know, have a story from it. There's like you said, like we've talked about, there's so much out of this game. You know, there was a hat trick. Um, Ryan Reeves comes back after, you know, a false positive. Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, at one point, look like flat out. If they lose this game, if they bomb out in the first round in a game seven after having a 3-1 lead, what happens to the goalies? What happens in the off season? I mean, heads could roll at some point, but I mean, they would, they certainly would have rolled if they lost this series. I, I didn't want to put this out there, but when Marc-Andre Fleury left at city national, you know, after the morning skate, that seriously might've been the last time we ever saw him there, depending on, you know, whatever happens in the off season. So, you know, we'll see. Who knows? It could play out, you know, any which way. But there was so much riding on that on that game tonight, and to have it play out the way it did, to have fans, you know, in Vegas have another, you know, game seven story like like fans all over the the NHL do. Uh, you know, every once in a while, you know, y- you feel grateful that you get a press pass and you get to be there and watch it. You know, this is another one of those nights. One hour air conditioning and heating. Our comfort specialist can handle any AC repair. Call 855 one hour for $50 off your repair or visit onehourair.com. Always on time or you don't pay time. Terms and conditions may apply independently owned and operated, licensed in their respective state or county. Your time is valuable, so we've built a seven minute nonstop newscast that fits into your daily routine. I'm Jen Ah. Seven at seven keeps you informed anytime, anywhere. Look for top stories weather, sports and sports betting, business, lifestyle and entertainment. Get every bit of local news you need in seven minutes. Watch 7 at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Streaming nonstop 24-7 from the Las Vegas Review Journal on your mobile or smart TV. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll potentially have more of them moving forward because the Knights are moving on to the second round. Their reward for beating the Minnesota Wild in seven games is they will face the West Division and President's Trophy winning Colorado Avalanche, who, by the way, have been idle and just sitting on their hands since uh, this past Sunday. Uh, Game one is at 5 p.m. Sunday in Denver. Both Dave and I will be there. Uh, The Avalanche 
opened the series as a minus 170 favorites at Superbook. Um, for those of you that don't quite uh, get the uh, whole you know, gambling math, basically one of the only keys that you need to take away from that is I think that's only the second time in the night's history they've opened a playoff series as the underdog. Uh, the other time, I believe, was in the Western Conference Final, their inaugural season against Winnipeg. And, of course, they ended up uh, winning that series in five games. Uh, Max Pacioretty said after the game that Colorado is uh, the best team in the league and said they arguably have the best player in the league and then added uh, a couple of them. So uh, he could be talking about Nathan McKinnon at center. He could be uh, talking about Kale McCarr on defense. Uh, Who's to say? Uh, The Avalanche obviously did have the best regular season record in the NHL, which is why uh, they ended up winning that President's Trophy. They technically were tied with the Knights for the most points, but they won the tiebreaker because they had more regulation wins. Uh, For those curious about the season series, the Knights were 4-4 and against Colorado with a uh, plus-one goal differential. Um, But this is a high-powered, highly-skilled team uh, with a lot of weapons and quite a bit of depth. Uh, What kind of challenge are the Knights going to be in for in uh, round two, Dave? A big one? (laughs) I mean, we've talked about it a lot during the the regular season. And, you know, here's the other thing, too, though. I want to flip this around a little bit. And I don't want to sound like a total homer or anything. But, you know, the Avalanche are sitting over there saying it's a big challenge for them as well. You know, if, if Max Pacioretty can play close to what he gave them tonight, you know, it changes the dynamic of the Knights lineup. It changes a little bit of the dynamic, you know, of the series. But I think just, you know, in terms of some of the X's and O's, you know, whether it's, you know, Taves, Gerard, McCarr, uh, that mobile back line that they have if Bowen Byram ends up in there. You know, I saw some comments from Jared Bednar about how, you know, Bowen Byram has some things, you know, in his game that they feel might suit them, you know, in their, in their next series. I don't know if that's specifically against the wild or specifically against the golden Knights, but he's another one who can really move and skate back there. And, you know, it's funny, like, you know, we kind of look at this and, and automatically you go, you go to McKinnon and, you go to Makar, but Miko Rantanen is a really, really, really good player. I think we're going to find that out in this series. We're going to hear about that from the Knights about, you know, maybe how underrated he is and, and really kind of, you know, is, is a, is a real one, two punch with McKinnon. And it's not just, you know, that he's getting tugged along. That's a, that's a top 10 draft pick that, that they really hit on uh, over in Colorado. So, it's a deep team. You know, you've got familiarity with, with Pierre Edward Belmar on the fourth line and every, you know, little bit of knowledge that he's going to bring. Um, you've got guys like Tyson Jost who seems to be coming on and Andre Burakovsky had a really good, you know, regular season. The, the interesting thing is, you know, what Nazem Kadri, depending, I don't think we've seen his appeal result yet, but he's got six more games left on his suspension. So that could actually be a factor here in all of this as well. Yeah. So for those of you guys that are not aware, Nazem Kadri, um, you know, typically the second line center for the Colorado Avalanche, but you know they move guys around on occasion. And yeah, he was suspended in their uh, first round series, 
against the St. Louis Blues for a hit uh, to the head of Justin Falk, who is a Blues defenseman. Kadri has kind of a uh, history of, uh, you know, kind of uh, unnecessary hits in the playoffs is one of the reasons he's actually with the Avalanche because, uh, you know, he did something similar where he got suspended in uh, a first-round series when he was with the Toronto Maple Leafs against the Boston Bruins. Uh, The Maple Leafs basically kind of got sick of it. They ended up trading him to Colorado, and that trade actually last year looked like it really worked out in Colorado's favor. But uh, now Kadri might be missing uh, these very important games for the Avalanche. Um, We got hit with eight games. He would have to miss uh, six games in this series if his suspension remains the same. But he is allowed to appeal, and he appealed directly to NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, uh, I believe, on Thursday, as has been reported by uh, multiple people. Um, But Bettman hasn't issued, you know, his like kind of ruling on the appeal, whether that'll be reduced or not. So if Kadri can't go, um, that is a loss for the Avalanche. Uh, The impressive thing about Colorado is that uh, they have the guys to fill in because they even have uh, their first round pick from a couple of years ago and one of their top prospects, Alex Newhook, now with them and playing a role. And so they've just got guys to fill in. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see kind of how the Knights end up approaching this series, Dave. I mean, you mentioned uh, that the Avalanche are, you know, should be worried about them too. And I think that's very fair because these two teams do match up, I think, fairly well with each other. Um, But it is interesting because, you know, Colorado had probably the most trouble with the Knights than almost any other team. Colorado was this, you know, juggernaut who obviously ripped through most of the West division. That's why they finished with the uh, most points in the NHL or tied with them with the Knights. But uh, the Knights really limited them in terms of, you know, Colorado didn't have a lot of high scoring games against the Knights. Uh, There was one in Colorado where they kind of wiped the floor with them. But other than that, it was a lot of really close tight checking games. And the Knights were able to kind of, uh, you know, ironically do what the wild did to the Knights for parts of this past series where um, they made things close, they made it tight checking, and they made it kind of a game of mistakes. And now Colorado has the kind of high-level talent to pounce on any mistakes you give them. But, uh, you know, especially I think of that mobile defense core that you mentioned that is so, so good at skating and transitioning the puck. But those guys aren't that big. And so what the Knights had success doing during the regular season was, all right, put the puck in the corner and make those guys try to fight their way out of there because we think that we have, you know, the size in our forward group where we can pin the puck there that we can work it free and then we'll get in on our forecheck. And that's how we'll create against this team. And, you know, like I said, they did about as well as any team did against Colorado this season. Um, but I'm curious, you know, to get your thoughts too of like, you know, how do you think uh, these teams are going to kind of match up here uh, moving forward with game two uh, or game one, I should say, uh, already not that far away. I see I'm already uh, losing my mind here late at night. <laughs> on, uh, it was Friday night, now it's Saturday morning, but uh, already uh, we're looking at uh, game one uh, basically tomorrow. It's crazy. But how do you think these two teams match up? Well, ben, when's your flight? Like about six hours or something like that here? Yeah, it's, you know, feels like six. It's going to be nine, but I'll I'll sleep for six before I have to get up and uh, get on that thing. 
Yeah, no kidding, huh? Uh, rough. This is this is crazy. Uh, I think as far as the matchup, so I'll say this. I think Colorado is obviously a better team than Minnesota, but I think the Knights match up better with the Avalanche than they do against the Wild. And I think part of that is when the Wild are at full strength, that Yola Eriksson Eck line is just a game changer in a way because it's a shutdown line that's big and physical, and it gave the Stone Stevenson, you know, most of the time tuck. Uh, line a lot of problems and and when you neutralize them you know from the golden knights you know it takes you know some depth scoring and some other guys to really step up and there were stretches in that series where they just didn't get that and they got it obviously in game seven but the blueprint against colorado is much more clear and i think you did a great job articulating it in se- in some ways the knights can be the big heavy team that shuts down and, and sort of tries to neutralize this, you know, sort of offensive juggernaut. And I think it's a little bit of a misnomer about Colorado because they're really good defensively. And I think what Colorado does in, in the games that they've had success against the Knights is just sort of that puck possession and shot suppression and not allowing the Knights a whole lot, capitalizing on turnovers and turning it into quick transition. But the Knights have figured out how to play against them in terms of, like you said, getting the puck in deep, playing a heavy game, and then also having enough skill to then turn that into goals and pressure against Grubauer and all those sorts of things. And that's why they, you know, what it was 4-4 during the regular season. And the Knights were, I would say the better team for large stretches of the final game that they played when they had 15 skaters out there. So there's a lot to go into this series and feel confident about. If you're the Knights, the one thing I want to throw on you real quick is who starts in net game one? Because if it's me, if I'm pizza Boar, I'm rolling Robin Leonard in game one to be perfectly honest. I think you give Mark Andre Fleury a little bit of a mental break after that seven game series, you can get him a long rest here because I don't think the NHL has released the rest of the schedule, but at least what we're anticipating based on an NBA game, the Nuggets hosting the Trailblazers on Tuesday is game two for the Golden Knights and Avalanche probably being on Wednesday. You can buy Marc-Andre Fleury some extra rest and just, you know, get him, you know, back to a hundred percent mentally physically you know get him going for game two and then if for some reason you need robin letter down the road he has a game under his belt he has some sharpness back to him i don't know what do you think ben am i crazy no i don't think you're crazy at all yeah we didn't really touch on it earlier but yeah of course mark andre Fleury did start game seven for the golden knights we discussed it a little bit on our last podcast uh, leading into game seven and both kind of said that you know, we felt that was the way they're going to go. And that's the way they did indeed go. He starts all seven games of the series and, of course, ends up going four and three. Um, it'll certainly be interesting. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury obviously performed very well this entire first round series for the Golden Knights. Um, but, you know, they've touted how much of a weapon having two goaltenders is basically all season. And so if they then decline to use that weapon during the postseason, uh, that creates a lot of questions, even though Marc-Andre Fleury is playing as well as he is uh, 
I think, you know, certainly if you were looking for a spot to uh, put Robin Leonard in, I think you could do a lot worse than, yeah, game one on Sunday. He'll be able to, uh, you know, get his sea legs under him in the playoffs. And he's obviously performed very well in the playoffs for the Golden Age before. Gets Marc-Andre Fleury a breather because even though he didn't even make that many saves tonight, there were some stressful minutes in the crease for him where there was times where the Wild were making a very big push in the offensive zone. And even if Fleury isn't making saves, he has to be at the ready. I mean, it's a lot uh, to deal with mentally in terms of, you know, the stresses of, you know, where shots are going to come from, how he's defending in his crease and all that. So, like I said, I think for a lot of reasons, it could make sense. Will it happen? Who's to say? Because uh, as we found out tonight, this team always seems to find a way to surprise us. Uh, Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Golden Edge Podcast. We hope you guys enjoyed this breakdown of the Knights Game 7 victory against the Minnesota Wild and a quick preview of their second round series against the Colorado Avalanche. We'll, of course, be bringing you coverage of this upcoming series, uh, you know, all the time. Uh, Please check back to ReviewJournal.com for all our written work. We, of course, will record a uh, podcast in the middle of this upcoming series when we think the time is right. Uh, And if you guys could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do podcast, do to this one, we would very much appreciate it. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you guys that this podcast is sponsored by One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating. They are also presented by Blue Wire Podcast. I'm Ben Goats. That's Dave Shane. We are the Golden Edge Podcast. We'll talk to you guys again real soon. One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our comfort specialist can handle any AC repair. Call 855-1-HOUR for $50 off your repair or visit OneHourAir.com. Always on time or you don't pay time. Terms and conditions may apply independently owned and operated, licensed in their respective state or county. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.